welcome back to another episode of Sembrando Ideales. I'm Genesis and I'm here with my co-hosts Ali, Guillermo, Rebecca, Mikey, and Dr. Carlos. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about socialism. We have a bunch of questions lined up for Dr. Carlos that we're going to answer about misconceptions and just like a basic introduction um, to socialism to start. How's it going, everybody? How's everybody doing? Doing good. Hanging on there. Yeah. Fire. Yeah. The finals to be over. This is it. This is it. You know, the culmination of all this hard work in progress I'm not ready for the real adult world just yet but i guess that doesn't really matter huh you never really are i'm 40 years old and i'm still not ready for it all right well i mean i guess we can just kind of jump right into it um so i feel like well the purpose of this is to kind of clarify our stance on our understandings of what socialism communism democratic socialism, what that means to us, because they can have a lot of different definitions based on who you're talking to. Um, so this is a clarification for our listeners to kind of understand where we're coming from and what perspective we, um, what framework we're analyzing all of these terms under. Um, obviously under the guidance of our wonderful Dr. Carlos here. Um, so I will start off. Um, what do you define socialism to be? I mean, a simple sort of a simple definition of socialism is where where everybody sort of works and puts in to get it puts like puts in the fruit of their labor and we share the wealth that is created. Uh, that's sort of a simple definition. Uh, if I get if you want to get historical, uh, socialism really comes out of uh, sort of the development of capitalism. And actually, the social sciences originally um, come out of the sort of the history of critique. So Marx in the uh, in the 1800s, the mid 1800s, um, you know, he was basically analyzing society. So the dude was like, you know, he's posted up and just kind of observing, observing the world as it was changing around him. And, and as he was observing this, uh, he developed what's referred to as sort of the dial dialectical materialism and trying to really like, it's and it's his method for, uh, for social analysis. And basically, uh, dialectical materialism is is this you know it sounds complicated but what what it is is you know it, he says that history always moves forward and that there's always sort of a dyad of systems and those dyad of systems basically like like fight each other out and out of that struggle like comes a new system and so for instance like out of feudalism like capitalism was kind of born out of that and then that they them two fought it out and out of out of that sort of you know uh liberal liberal democracy kind of comes out of that but basically capitalism wins over and it was actually wasn't capitalism it was mercantilism so feudalism existed and then mercantilism sort of like grows out of that those two things fight it out and capitalism is born and so in his conception of, of how the world was going to sort of function. And I, I don't never want to say that like he was, uh, he prophesies people do that shit all the time. And it fucking pisses me off that, you know, Marx prophesied this and Ma Marx said that this was going to happen. Like that fool was not fucking Nostradamus. Let's, let's start that shit out. This dude was a legitimate social scientist who observed the world. And he said, look, here are the contradictions that in my observations, I can point out that exists currently. He never said anything about the future. He never said, like, this is what's going to happen. He said, but given this context, 
this these are the possibilities uh because if he was a if he was somebody who prophesied stuff he would never he wouldn't have spent the majority of his life actually trying to organize workers if you recognize that after he went through his philosophical sort of period his early period he became much more into political he got he got much more into political economy and so uh that means that he he cared about changing the structure and so one of you mentioned the, the communist manifesto i mean the manifesto was expressly and actually this is the reason i don't assign it was expressly written to like evoke emotions into the heart of like working people so they can rise up and rebel against their you know the landed elite uh the you know the uh, the petty bourgeois and the, the, the manufacturing class um and so anyway so back to the story so you have this sort of dialectical method right so like capitalism wins out eventually but in and socialism was basically supposed to be the system that basically like confronted capitalism and out of that struggle between socialism and capitalism like communism is supposed to be born and he never really actually defined communism uh it was actually lenin and state and revolution that really uh gives the only like um and th there is actually no good definition of communism. So when people say, you know, have we ever had uh, communism in the world? We can honestly say no, that we haven't. You know, the Soviet Union wasn't a communist country, even though it was ideologically communist. It wasn't a communist in praxis. Um, and Cuba's not technically a communist country in praxis. And so people are like, well, what is communism supposed to be? And I'm going to give you a really, um, really shitty answer to that, because communism is supposed to be about like, uh, like how communities come together and decide to run their their society collectively. And I can't give you that definition because people have to define that for themselves. So that's a practice of democracy. So the definition that uh, Lenin gives in State and Revolution is he basically says that, you know, like when socialism wins out, socialism will transition to this thing called communism and the state will wither away basically like communism is supposed to be a stateless society where like people sort of just take care of each other those who can work will work those who uh who can't work you know uh for whatever reasons uh, are still taken care of by the community because they're part of the community so it would be a much more local system uh you know if i had to like venture to guess but ultimately it's up to the people that create the system and so that's that was the goal so we've never actually had that so um but in terms of socialism so you know marx is analyzing the stuff and and uh he's basically you know he's noticing contradictions or whatever but it was a completely new way of 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 sort of engaging in academic pursuits before marx like if you go hegel backwards like every single intellectual that we learn about in western sort of thought you know what are they talking about like if you're talking about Plato, if you're talking about Socrates, if you're talking about Aristotle, if you're talking about, you know, the Roman thinkers, if you're talking about any of those, like what are they what are they all like discussing? They all try to defy justice or define justice in a way. So you have like the stories. I mean, I don't really want to explain a whole lot into it the same way you are with Marx. But in a way, you know, they have their own dialectic method of, you know, what is justice? Is it supposed to be equal for everyone? or you know like what uh, and, and so uh, thank you mikey and, and so in terms of the 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 uh, did, did i cut you off you're good okay no you're good okay cool uh so in in terms of that like you know they, they were thinking about these things but they were thinking about these things abstractly 
So like it was abstract thought, it was ideology, it was I like it was the role of ideas. And so these people were all focused on ideas. Marx comes like around eventually to recognize that it's not actually the role of ideas that is like he's not and it's not I'm not saying that he doesn't think it's not important, but like it's not that ideas don't matter. It's actually the 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 opposite. And he flips sort of the Hegelian dialectic on its head and he's like, "Hey, it's not ideas." It's actually the material conditions of life that matter. And, and the material conditions of life are actually what can help construct people's ideas. And so, and then he, you know, he has a whole, you know, he, he writes, you know, his whole life really is about the material conditions of life. And, and so this new way of actually analyzing the world, which we now come to term social sciences, was initially the first name that was given to like, like people who understood and wanted to see the world this way to, to analyze the world this way uh, is basically rooted in socialism. So like the, the first name for this way of viewing the world was called socialism. Cause you're, you're, it's like, you're studying society itself, not, I, the, not the ideas of society. And so socialism initially is not even an ideology. It's just uh, like a form of, of, of trying to like uh, understand the context of the world and how it works. And so eventually it splits off, like, you know, like in social sciences are born. A lot of people don't even give Marx credit for that, but he's basically the founder of the social sciences. Um, you know, he doesn't even get credit for uh, a tidbit I like to note is that, you, you know, the way that y'all say is like, you know, when you want evidence, what, what does your generation say that you got to bring? Precedent. Well, I mean, that's how you say it officially in court, but I want to know what, what's the like layman's terms of saying that. Receipts. You got to bring the receipts. And, and Marx was the first one to bring the receipts. Uh, he was the first one ever to actually cite his work because he knew that people were going to be like, you're full of shit. You're making this up. And he's like, nah, I got this information from these archives. I got this. I got this information from the health archives of these hospitals over here. And so um, a small tidbit for you is that Marx actually invented citations. Uh, and that's why you got to bring receipts now when you write papers. Uh, so anyway, socialism starts out that, at, as that. Um, and, and so, so, so in, in the context of ideology, socialism is supposed to be, as a system, uh, it's supposed to be really a transitory stage uh, between uh, capitalism and, and sort of this stateless society that exists, that hopefully will exist one day. Um, and so, and, but as a system, it's basically like, imagine all the work that we do and imagine all of the billions of dollars in profits that are made in our society. Imagine that money staying with the people and the people deciding what to do with it. That's essentially what socialism is, where, you know, we are creating wealth, the people that work, work. And, you know, some of the people who can't, don't, you know, our elderly, our, you know, our, our, um, our differently able population, um, you know, children, um, you know, anyone you sort of want to, want to include in that, you know, uh, who, people who are, you know, like, for some reason, they're not able to work because they're sick or whatever. And like the people who are working, there's like there's more than enough wealth to actually take care of everybody. And so socialism is basically a system where we use the state to do that. Um, and eventually it was supposed to turn into like, you know, like, you know, communalism. I mean, technically, like this is where you also get into the, the differences between the like the different segments of the left. Uh, where you get into like anarchists and like, you know, communo, uh, like anarchist syndicalists, anarcho-communists, like it's all, I don't want to, I don't want to sort of um, 
because a lot of those people get lost in a little like the technicalities. But really the point of socialism is we're all working really hard. Why should the like billions of dollars in profit go to people who don't do anything? And why can't we use that money to just take care of the people in our society? I was about to um, ask you, since you were saying like the, the different technicalities on the left, what's the difference between socialism and democratic socialism? So <laughs> anarcho-Bidenist, yeah, that's that's a new thing. Like uh, the Biden is socialist. Like people are fucking saying that Biden and Kamala Harris are, are socialist. Like it, it makes me angry. Um, and, and this is part of that story, Guillermo. It's part of your question. So like, like in in terms of what's the difference, uh, I would say that the the democratic socialists aren't really looking for the end of the state. Like they're just trying to use the state as a mechanism to distribute wealth, particularly because it's our tax dollars, right? Like people people hear you know wealth distribution, they're like they get mad because they think that they're coming for your money. Like, and this has to do with uh, one of the sort of uh, Marx maxims is that you know he's you know early on in his career he said you know those that those that control the means of material production control the means of mental production. Uh, because they get to own the the mass media, basically, they have the money and wealth uh, to spend on, you know, corp- like owning the corporations that own the actual media. So corporate media, they can own the newspapers, and they be- basically they basically can tell any stories. And one of the things that's happened in this country is, you know, for a long time, especially after the Cold War, uh, is essentially that like this country is deadly afraid of the word socialism and nobody knows what it means. And so like you will hear people in my family, people in the community, you say the word socialism and they get fucking scared because they assume it's the boogeyman that's going to come and take them in the night. It's the that's ch- my parents. Like I've always tried to slide in the question like, Oh, what do you guys think about Hugo Chavez? What do you guys think about this? What do you guys think about socialism? And they're like, Oh, it is communista. Okay. Yeah. And so like, like communism yeah. and socialism, because they use they're, they're used confoundedly in, in our society uh, and people are deathly afraid of that, of those terms that but I, I, I the first thing I ever tell my students or tell anybody who like who, who asked me this question is, well, when people ask you that question, why don't you put, put it back on them and ask them, what is socialism? Ask them to define it. And I guarantee you they won't be able to. Because my brother, my brother was saying. Like, oh, do you know that communism? Just because I said that, I was like, oh, what, what are your beliefs? And I said, I was, I'm de- leaning towards democratic socialism. And he's like, do you know that communism kill, has killed some, a number of people? Yeah. And I was like, do you know capitalism has killed, how many people capitalism has killed? Yeah. And, and you know, that, that, that figure that they come up with is always false because they include the Nazis in there. The Nazis weren't communist or socialist. So like uh, in, in the practical sense, even though their na- it was in their name, um that's you know that's like my that's like me calling myself the you know uh the you know the white panther or some shit. i'm not white you know like i'm i'm even though i'm mexican i'm not, like in terms of my race like i'm technically not um it's uh it's all right you can bring let them you let let your dog come in like our viewers want to see doggies they like doggies and cats uh doggies more than cats but i'm not either i'm not either anyway um so back to back to sort of your question so democratic socialism is is basically actually a, it's a it's basically actually a redundancy like a, it's um what do you call that when like it's not even a, it's not a paradox that's when you have an opposite but it's it's basically redundant 
because one of the things that, you know, people always misquote Marx all the fucking time and it pisses me off. One of the ways that they misquote Marx is that Marx, you know, talked about the, um, the dictatorship of the proletariat, right? And, and like, that sounds bad because it has the word dictatorship in it, right? Like, oh, what the fuck? What does that mean? But think about it. Think, think it, like, think about it logically. Like, if the proletariat rule, who makes up the proletariat? Working class. How many people is that? Like millions, if not billions. Is it the majority of the people on earth? I would say it's more than the bourgeois. So if it's so if, so it's a, it's major it's the majority of the people on earth, right? And it's more more than the bourgeois. What do we call that when the majority rules? Democracy. We call it democracy. So so when Marx said and he you know, he was talking about the dictatorship of the proletariat, he was actually being facetious. Like he was actually uh, like being sarcastic. And, you know, that's another thing that people don't recognize. And it's, it's hard to pick that up because, you don't you know, nope, you don't I don't personally know this guy. You don't personally know this guy. So if you pick up his book that he wrote 150 years ago, you're going to be like, you're not going to you're not going to know that that's his character. Right. If you if you read him enough and if you read enough of like the stories about him, you will come to recognize that, he, you know, he had a personality just like everybody else has a personality. And the dude was sarcastic as fuck, but he was extremely well read. And uh, and so he was one of the, like, if you read Karl Marx, I mean, the, the capital I actually have it right here. You know, like this is the version that I think people should read. It's the it's this version. Um, and I think uh, it's the international publishers. Um, I think they have the best translations of his work, to be honest with you. Uh, it's really hard to translate like German to uh, to English. And, and like a lot of stuff gets lost in translation, but I think they have the best. I don't understand German, but like I've read things that are translated by different people and I've read the same stuff uh, by different in, in different translations in English translations and the international publishers just it has more meaning in it. Um, like in a, I'll give you an example uh, in other books, people talk about the word alienation and when people think about alienation, they think about their feelings and their being, you know, feeling of being like, like, you know, separated from society. That's not what Marx was referring to. He was actually talking about the like the estrangement of labor. And that's how it sort of defines that. But uh, anyway, back to the I get off topic easily, especially when I'm talking about socialism. Um, so the difference between democratic socialism uh, and and socialism is is. Is technically a redundancy that is necessitated by uh, the fear that people have in this country. So the word de democratic is put there on purpose uh, so that people can recognize that, like, you know, socialism is meant to be democratic. And, and it's also a reminder from what happened in the 1960s and 70s because socialism became not democratic, it became authoritarian. And so it's to separate itself from the authoritarian forms of socialism that developed in the Soviet Union and Cuba and in other sort of uh, like, you know, Africa. But then people like, you know, people will lambast that authoritarianism, not recognizing that to some degree that authoritarianism, uh, authoritarianism was necessitated by capitalist wars. So, you know, you all learn about uh, World War One and World War Two uh, and going through uh, college. But you, what you don't learn about what actually ended World War One was that the Soviet Union pulled or that Russia pulled out because the the Bolsheviks had taken power and they were going to start their communist project and all the other countries who were fighting against each other basically stopped the war and said hey we can't let this happen 
and they joined forces and marched on Moscow. And so Lenin, uh, after having taken the Winter Palace, uh, you know, and th this is where you get the story, uh, like you get like the propaganda comes through like fucking children's movies. Y'all ever saw see this movie Anastasia? Like, you know, the reason the, the, the royal family had to flee, flee, flee was because of this. Well, in, in real, the real story was the reason that the royal family had to flee was because like the czar had fucking impoverished his whole community. Like the peasants were dying of poverty. They were dying of hunger in his in his. So when people talk about like back to your question, Guillermo, uh, when people talk about like how uh, communism has killed a bunch of people like dude, capitalism and colonialism has killed like fucking astronomical numbers more than um i mean world, christopher columbus genocide you know world war ii was technically a capitalist war so anybody that died under that war uh you know was technically dying because of capitalism um and, and you know and even and even also like in, like that's another thing that people don't recognize is that like oh communism kills people during war capitalism kills people like in under normal circumstances and we don't count those deaths Right. So like the people that die of homelessness, the people that die of like not being able to afford health care, the people that can't, you know, that like they, they, you know, they get a they can never sort of, a, you know, get an MRI. So they never know they have, a, you know, like a small tumor that develops into like a large tumor and then it, it becomes a, you know, malignant tumor and then it turns into cancer. Like like there's you know millions of people in the world that die because capitalism doesn't give them the resources they need to survive the hellscape that capitalism is. I mean, shit, right now, how many people are dying in India because we we won't fucking lift the patent on the Pfizer vaccine? You know, and and we don't blame capitalism because it's sort of like, out. no, like that's that's because we 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 rather protect profit in this country than to like actually help people. So democratic socialism is just a, a sort of a new way to try to interpret uh, this concept of like, hey, our tax dollars should go to helping our people. That's really the simple version of it. Um, you know, you're paying into you're paying into a system of taxes, and what are you getting back? Like, what's your you know, if you think about taxes as a return as a as an investment, what's your return on investment? You know, if you were buying stock in a company, you would care about what your returns are. And in our system, we pay way more taxes than we ever see back in a return because that shit is used for military weaponry. That shit is, I mean, eight hundred billion dollar military budget. Uh, you know, and then and then newspapers and uh, the media come out and say, oh, it's going to cost 20 billion dollars to, you know, to eradicate, uh, you know, um, student loans, like as if we're not spending 800 billion dollars on like, you know, developing new fucking like planes that don't ever fucking run. Like that's the, the stuff that's crazy. So to simplify it, basically socialism is a is a, a social system in which you know the social surplus product is not extracted as profit and goes to people's pockets. It goes back to the people. The people get to decide what to do with it, um, and that's why honestly there is no, no there is no definition for communism because it's got to be something that's democratically decided by and not even democratically decided by the whole country, democratically decided in the regions by different people in in their loca locations. It's contextual. So I like to talk about communism, not as an ism, but communism as a plural, communisms, because it's going to be different in different locations, depending on what people need. Sorry. I can go on. Bread made out of sawdust. Yeah. What are you, um, <clears throat> are Bernie Sanders and AOC actually socialists? 
You know, you know, I, yeah, I think they are. Um, I, I think they are. And I think honestly, they've done a masterful job, a better job than anyone historically has ever done uh, to, to actually be able to popularize socialist ideas. Uh, and, and that's why that's honestly why you're getting the uh, you're getting the the sort of the blowback. You know, like when whenever there's any any gains that are made, there's always people who uh, are reactionary and they want to fight that. And so the reason that they're accusing Biden and uh, and, you know, uh, Kamala Harris of being socialist is because they, they keep, they're, they're trying to denigrate this concept, denigrate this concept of socialism. Um, and so uh, I do think that they're socialists. Uh, but also, I don't think that they're the most, you know, if you had to put people on a scale of whether they're, you know, like what percent socialism they are. I think they're maybe somewhere between 50 and 60 percent. Um, but I also understand that I also understand that they 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 understand the context. Like if you think about this, as Gramsci talked about as a war of position, they understand that in the current top context, they can't openly say call, you know, for a socialist revolution or whatever. So they're going to try and pass policies that that get us in that direction. Uh, and I mean, technically, it's not any different than like, you know, welfare reforms, right? Like the welfare state. And it's basically using the power of the state to, to use state dollars, which are taxpayer dollars, to help taxpayers. And I think, honestly, they're masterful at the way that they do it. And there's a lot of people that on the left who talk shit about them. They're like, oh, they're not really socialist because of this or that. And it's, it's like a lot of that is, um, is uh, virtue um, signaling. Like people are just trying to make a name for themselves as influencers or as, you know, as people like whoever they are. Uh, just to show how down they are. And I remember ever since I got uh, I got into sort of activism roles, there was always those people who like who always like wanted to like appear and perform that they were the downest. And then the people who were actually the downest were the people who stayed after to fucking clean up. Like not the people who like screamed the loudest, not the people who dressed or performed the activism. I remember dudes looking like the Brown Panthers talking all kinds of shit. And I'm like, dude, but you you don't but you don't do nothing. And so I think, I think they're in that struggle right now. I think that, you know, Bernie and they're trying to build, they're trying to build out a movement that like, one, we don't have, we don't have the numbers. If you, if you, you know, if you, you sort of like uh, read Gramsci, he talks about, you know, he uses a lot of war analogies because he's writing in prison uh, you know, during World War II because he's imprisoned by Mussolini. And so he's using war analogies to get all his stuff through the censors. But like, if you think about it as that analogy of war opposition, like we don't have the numbers to actually like, you know, not elect Democrats. Like we don't. People are like, oh, Green Party, man, the last time the Green Party like had a, a serious campaign, a serious campaign where it actually seemed reasonable that, you know, people should vote for the thir a third party like was uh, when, uh, what's that dude's name? When he ran against Bush and uh, I forget who ran for the Democrats, oh, Al Gore, and he didn't even get 3%. So, so how do you, you know, how do you like logically in the United States where you have a two party rule, you know, and I'm not saying that you should vote for the Democrats, but I'm saying like, look, we just, we just don't have the numbers. We don't have the, uh, the capacity. We don't have the, um, you know, the political army, so to speak, not, you know, like not violent army, but the political army to actually take on what's currently happening. And they're building that shit out. It started with AOC, started with Bernie, then AOC ran, and then she expanded it into the squad. And now the squad is getting bigger. Now it's like Jamal Bowman and all these other people running for office on a local level, state level, national level. There, Arizona, uh, the Arizona uh, was it uh, the Arizona DSA members uh, and part of the Our Revolution uh, slate 
just took over the state party. Like, and so it's, you know, like, also understand the context. Like, you got you to gotta build numbers. And it can't, and this is the part where I think the, DS, the DSA, since we're talking about socialism, DSA is going to have to do a much better job. And not, not just DSA, unions, uh, anybody trying to do any kind of political organizing in this country is going to have to do a much better job organizing Latinos, and particularly Mexican-Americans. And I say Mexican-Americans because they're like by far the largest, l- largest contingent of the Latino community. And so, like, the reason that, you know, a lot of people say it was, it was African-American folks, and for sure it was African-American folks turning out in Georgia, African-American folks turning out in Philly, but, like, it was also brown people turning out in Arizona. It was also brown people. You, you know what percentage of brown people uh, that who were eligible to vote voted in Wisconsin? 80% of eligible Latinos voted in Wisconsin. That's fucking massive turnout. And so, like, and that's cool. That's all well and good for one election. But how do you keep those people engaged? How do you get those people active in your sort of movements? But anyway, now I'm talking about strategy and organizing. Y'all want to talk about more socialism. Yeah. Another question that we had for you was, oh, my God, I hope you can't hear that in the background. Oh, you're good. Okay. Um, Another question that we had about socialism is why are Americans so afraid of socialism, despite the the fact that we have certain programs in our country that are socialist, like free education, um, social security, even firefighters. And technically even police, like, you know, even though, you know, you all know how I feel about that. Um, I think because they don't, again, they don't understand what it is. They don't, they don't, they, they think it's, it's funny. I love that. There's a, there's a bunch of memes and pages about, you know, have you ever heard somebody try to uh, define uh, socialism, but they just define capitalism? Like, you know, oh, giving people to people who don't work for it. Well, technically owners don't like, you know, don't work for it. Like, you know, stockholders, like stockholders don't do any work. So you can say, well, you know, Jeff Bezos does some some work because he was the CEO of his company. All right. He worked some like maybe some nine to five hours. Right. But not not enough to fucking make up for like, you know, 30 billion dollars. Um, but like all his stockholders, they they literally are not doing anything zero to benefit like Amazon outside of just owning the stock and they're getting all the returns. Um and so I think it goes back to the idea is one, we don't ever really, we're not ever able to sort of define what capitalism is and isn't. And this is one of the things that I think is changing, which I think is beautiful. And I think this is where Bernie and, and AOC and like a lot of other people have like done a much better job at sort of explaining what it is and what it isn't. Um, but, you know, because they control the media outlets, the media outlets, you know, like don't ever teach you really anything about systems. They say, you know, this person died and they say, oh, this puppy got saved. And that's all they tell you about. They don't, you know, they're not out there sort of reporting, you know, in terms of the economy, even we only report the Dow Jones industrial average. We don't ever report the homelessness rate. We don't ever report the joblessness rate. Uh, The unemployment rate isn't even real. Like the unemployment rate doesn't even count a shit ton of other people that like get left out. Like if you're not actively looking for a job, you're actually not not considered unemployed. You're just considered like sort of extra. The prison, the prison population isn't considered uh, as part of the unemployment rate. So if you factor all those things in, the unemployment rate would be somewhere near 20% to 25%. Um, and so I think, you know, this country has done a lot of really good 
work, not good work, but like it's it's really good at doing this work uh, of, you know, uh, using propaganda and psych, psych, psyops to to convince people that socialism is a bad thing without them even understanding what it is. You know, if you want a perfect example, you mentioned it like public education is a, is a perfect example of socialism. Like we're all pitching in for it and every everybody gets to benefit. Uh, this post office is my personal favorite because who's got shit to say anything about the post office? Like, you know, you know, and this is where you get into the, the cops. So like, oh, cops do a dangerous job. I mean, post post office workers go into those same communities every single day on foot in person, not behind some car that is barricaded, not, you know, like they can't drive, you know, they're, they're walking around those neighborhoods and nothing ever happens to them. Why? Because they're not harassing people in that community. Uh, and so I have mad props because I think the post office workers are, have a much more dangerous job than police officers. I don't know if I answer your question, but a lot of it has to do with sort of um, just propaganda, man. Um, yeah, talking about pro propaganda, um, do you think the American media has succeeded or failed in presenting Latin American socialism as a failure? Uh, that's a that has a lot of double negatives in that question. So the the U.S. media, because it's owned by corporations who benefit off of like the exploitation of resources in Latin American countries, obviously will not paint any like it, it always it has a I don't even say want to say like it's a liberal or leftist or rightist slant. It has a pro corporate slant in those countries. So for instance, when Bolivia was like, you know, like Bolivia in the last couple of, you know, like last two years has undergone a lot of turmoil, uh, you know, like, and the media never covered like that. A lot of that stuff had to do with the, the lithium mines that they found, you know, if we want to go to a green energy, and this is why I think sometimes even green energy is greenwash, right? Elon Musk, you know, um, you're like, oh, everybody should be driving a hybrid car or like, a, you know, a electric car. Yeah. You know what electric cars uh, use to for power? Lithium ion batteries. They use batteries. And y'all know what happens to bat do batteries last forever? No. So what happens to what happens to the batteries after they're no longer good? They got to get awesome. stored somewhere. So you, where are you going to put them? You're going to put them the same way, the same place you're putting toxic waste. You, you're like, it's technically, it is toxic waste at that point. Have you all ever seen like a car battery? Like, like just, you know, like just sit around and like it deteriorates. It like, it, it like burns a hole through like the actual battery piece and starts melting onto the floor. It, like it's, it's super toxic. I mean, here in LA, the Exide plant, you know, um, like was, you know, was sued and like the city of Maywood and the surrounding communities in South, Southeast LA were able to uh, sort of uh, like get some money. I think they want a case against Exide. Exide makes batteries because of how toxic that shit is. And people don't think about that. They think about like clouds in the air and, you know, like, you know, driving, you know, like uh, sustainable cars, like ultimately cars are not sustainable. If you really want to move to sustainability, you got to start biking more. And the thing is, we don't build an infrastructure in the society to, to help that. Um, you know, in L.A., I don't understand why we're still building out freeways. Uh, recently, the 710 freeway was actually uh, the city wanted to expand it. The, and communities actually won a case that uh, that is going to prevent the expansion of the of the freeway. All those freeways literally for me should be turned into to, into subways. Like, you know, like the like the 105 is the only one. But imagine if every single freeway had, you know, you dedicate two lanes on each side for just one metro to go up and down that. Like people still can get to where they need to go. Uh, 
And, you know, again, it's not, it's, you know, it doesn't reduce it because it's still based on electricity and how are you getting the electricity? You know, we need more solar. We need all kinds of different forms of uh, wind power. Uh, and, you know, people get, this is, this is another thing is that um, it's, it's really easy to be critical of, of things. And so that's why I think a lot of people fall for stupid, uh, like, um, excuses or reasons. Like, you know, when Trump was talking about solar and wind energies, oh, no, it was killing the birds. You know, or, uh, you know, I remember what he said about wind turbines, but he said some stupid ass shit and people fall for it because it's easy to like, it's easy to have a defensive position. You were just talking about Elon Musk and um, Tesla and the lithium in Bolivia. And I think that's a really good um, kind of segue to talk a little bit more about Latin America, because on Twitter, Elon Musk made some comments that he wouldn't be opposed to a coup in Bolivia if that meant that he had more access to lithium and those lithium mines. You're saying it very nicely. He's, he said, this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote him. He said, we'll coup whoever we want. And, and the reality is he's not wrong because we have and we did and we will. And I'm not saying we should, but like, you know, if you look at the history of Latin America, uh, it's sad because it's a history. It's a, it's a, it's a, like technically it's two, almost two continents uh, full of rich cultures, indigenous cultures, uh, rich histories, uh, you know, so much diversity in food and, you know, people and culture and, and resources. And, Yet it's it basically been uh, the the U.S.'s version of a colony. It's starting with Mexico. Like I like to think of the Mexican-American War as the first war where the United States was basically expanding into an empire. And if you think about it in that context, like what we did in Iraq, you understand that the same thing we did in Iraq, well, that started with Mexico. Like basically the Mexican-American War was about taking resources away from, from Mexico, specifically mining resources in the Southwest. Um, and, and it's basically become, it, it is, it's where we get our raw materials from. It's where we get all the cheap labor from. It's where all the sweatshops are at. It's where, you know, we get well, people in the global South to, uh, to basically uh, do all of the work necessary for capitalism to thrive. And, uh, and the history of, I mean, Latin America is that, I mean, beginning with Mexico, but then eventually with, you know, the, the, um, the technically it was a Spanish, the Spanish American war where they, they took Cuba and they took the Philippines. And then, and then it sort of continued with, you know, uh, Jacobo Arbenz, um, in the, was the 1950s. Uh, and then, uh, you know, everybody knows of Allende in, in 73 in, uh, in Chile, but, uh, there was a lot of other countries that we, you know, we don't know about. Like, and it's everywhere and it happened in Iran. It was happening all over the world. I mean, get into the Mossadegh government in Iran, get into how we funded the CIA, the CIA funded uh, Al-Qaeda before it was Al-Qaeda, um, you know, to destabilize the Soviet Union. And then they were on the CIA, they were on the payroll, the CIA payroll when Bush was, uh, was head of the CIA. But all of it is because of, you know, corporate profit and corporate greed. Uh, and so... You know, and that's why people are fighting for socialism, because, you know, why are we using all of these massive amounts of resources to destroy the planet uh, when we can use them to actually like help people? Uh, I was watching um, some some commercial and it was like, I think they're sending in the first civilian uh, like space flight. You know, the first civilians are going to go in, up into space It's going to be called Inspire 4. And I just think about the millions and billions of dollars that are going to be spent to try to get to Mars. And people are like, oh, you know, we want to explore the universe to see, you know, what, you know, great things are out there. 
like, well, can we explore like, you know, our workplaces to see how we can make those better? Like pay workers better? Like it's, you know, sorry, I'm just ranting. <laughs> that kind of tied in with last episodes where Benita was like, can't we just have healthcare? Yeah. Yeah. Like, can't we just have these other things that will fix here instead of spending the millions or billions amount of dollars outside of the planet? Like that's, and that ties in also too with like the contradictions and you know how CIA is pulling strings. Like they put uh, cells to have Hugo Chavez get cancer in his underwear. Dude, there was actively, so this has been declassified. There was actively that I know of, I think it was 600, 600 different plans to kill um, uh, Fidel Castro. In the funniest ways possible. And some like, of those were fucking stupid. Like they were the stupidest thing. So so I was thinking about this because I was watching some 1980s movies about like CIA doing some shit. And it's actually funny because it's relevant to this. Uh, and so Tom Hanks, they think that he's some kind of spy. And so the CIA is like following him around town. And I'm thinking about like, Think about the resources that they're wasting following this guy who's not a spy. They just think he's a spy and they're tapping his phone and they're going into his house and they're, you know, they're wasting all kinds of money. People got paid Genesis to come up with that shit. Like imagine being somebody who's in a room and say, yeah, maybe we can kill him with, you know, putting some cancer cells in his underwear. I think there was one that was like an exploding cigar. Yeah. That's funny because they actually that they had an exploding cigar in that movie. <laughs> um, you know, and, and like it's you know, and bit, that's you know that's what that's what we do. And this this reminds me of the CIA the CIA commercial. Did y'all did y'all see that? Did y'all read about that? The CIA has a commercial about how intersectional it is and how uh, like it's basically a woke CIA. And so some people are losing their shit because, you know, everybody's like, you know, talking shit about critical race theory or like, you know, like they're, they're like up in arms that people are teaching it. And so people are mad that the CIA is basically like doing that. But those people don't recognize that the CIA has actually always done that. Do you know, did, did you all know that the CIA was the first federal bureaucracy in the 1950s to beg for affirmative action programs? Did y'all know that? Why do you think the CIA would want affirmative action programs? Just think, just think through it logically. What does the CIA do and where does it do it? Anybody? Well, I mean, we're talking about Latin America. What is it, you know, like, what do the people look like in Latin America? It's like a multiracial society. What do people look like in Africa? I mean, I, multiracial too. I mean, like a lot of people think, well, I mean, we've been socialized to believe that like everybody who lives in Africa is, is black, which is not true. Yeah. But like so, most, most people, it's okay. It's okay to say most people that yeah. live in Africa are no, black. No, but like, there are different I mean, shades of black. But the point, the point I'm trying to make is, okay, if you have all white spies and they're, and they're hanging out in Africa, if you won't let, if you, if you don't have people of color spies and your spies need to go to Africa to do some shit, some shady shit, like, what's going to happen to them when they get over there? I mean, they'll be picked up right away. Allie? I'm just going to say they're going to get spotted. They're going to get spotted. Like you and Mikey said, basically, they're going to get picked up. People are going to know who, like, who are these fucking guys sticking out like a sore thumb. And I say guys because in the 1950s, uh, it was mostly dudes. Um, and so they were like, no, we need people of color spies because we need people to blend in. 
but you're right, Rebecca, I don't want to sort of discount your comment. It's, you know, obviously there's a history of colonization in Africa that, you know, has left a lot of white population in, in sort of, uh, I mean, Algeria is an example of that. The French took over them and then, you know, uh, South Africa where, you know, the British um, that has, still have large white populations there. Uh, but largely like the, the CIA was like, hey, like we need folks of color to go fucking destroy other countries and their sovereignty. Kind of like a school say, of the Americas. Sorry, school of man. Yeah. yeah. Well, the school of the Americas is different because, like, we're not sending our spies; we're training their spies so that we can wash our hands of it. It's not us, you know. We're gonna give you the weapons. We're gonna teach you how to do how to like murder people in the nastiest ways, the nastiest ways. So that's why when people say like, "Oh, you know, like communism is killed," man, like get out of here, Cap capitalism the brutality of the central american wars the brutality of the shit that happened in vietnam the, the stuff that happened in cambodia the stuff that happened all over southeast asia like the fact that there's still like there's still um bombs like they're little bombs that haven't been triggered in vietnam that can still go off that we left behind 60 years excuse me 60 years later like you can tell, you can talk to me about comedy. Get out of here. This turned into like the murderingness of the podcast. They were delayed bombs on purpose. No, it just it's just you know you you sort of leave bombs out there or, or like they're uh, they're cluster bombs, and so cluster bombs are like like landmines. So like they only go off when they get set off, and a lot of them didn't get set off back then. And so they're still out there like they're like landmines that exist basically people like kind of walk around them they're very careful and especially where they know that there is an area that has cluster bombs but uh there's actually if y'all want to look this up uh just uh, go to youtube and, and click uh type in bombies like and you can see them they're like uh some of the ones that that uh that go off they're like they're basically the size of a baseball and they're black uh but a lot of them didn't get triggered back then and they're still there and so sometimes people will still like will step on it and like you know the the leg is taken off. It, it won't it, it like unless you like you're right on top of it, it won't mur kill you. It'll just maim you. But still, that's you know you look at the ra ravages of what capitalism has done around the world is is terrible. But back to socialism because I don't want this to be all about shit talking. One of the things that I think is really important to think about when we talk about socialism is is that you know and this is one of my frustrations with people on the left is that. That like socialism, especially through a sort of a Marxist critique, is is really about critiquing capitalism. But that's a first step. The reason you critique capitalism is about trying to understand it and what are the contradictions and where where are the points of exploitation, so that you can transcend it, so you can build an alternative. And we don't and like I don't think enough of, enough of us on the left do that work. What is that going to look like? Um, you know, what does it look like to, you know, like, it can't just be about talking shit. So like, I think I've said this before on this, on this program, I have, uh, you know, I've left this acquaintances and they'll say some like really fucking like at this point, really basic ass leftist like rhetoric, like one of them, one of the favorites of the left is like, we need to seize the means of production. And then I'll reply. So one time I replied to one of them and I said, okay, I'm with you. How? And he was like, he's like, well, what do you mean? I was like, yeah, you know, you're advocating for seizing the means. There's, you know, you, I, you wear t-shirts. I've seen you, you know, you bought a t-shirt that says seize the means. How? Are you going to use weapons? Because I'll be honest with you, I, I tell the dude, you don't look like you're in shape for that. 
for a drawn out warfare. Um, I'm not in shape for that. Like, fucking, I get winded going up the stairs. So okay, well, how would so how would you like? What do you, what would you say to to someone like that? Where like they they're feeling motivated, they have like the right ideas and intent in regards to wanting to organize more, wanting to learn more. What would you say is the most important first step? First step for somebody. Um, to be able to, or like, what do you think is the most important first step for us um, in order to move towards a more equitable society? So the first step is to learn how the system works, but it can't stop there, right? Like, so my critique of this, of this sort of comment commentary is that like, you know, we can't just be about shit talking capitalism. Like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy to do it any single day of the year. Like I love shit talking capitalism. There's so much shit talk to talk about so much bad shit that it does to people, to, you know, to the environment, you know, to animals, to like you human beings, to humanity, to the earth, to, you know, even space, dude, like so much fucking space trash. Um, but we have to move beyond sort of a reactionary uh, sort of position where all we're doing is reacting to what this thing is doing. And we have to start envisioning a new society. What does that look like? Okay, if we want to seize the means, we're not going to take it over violently because if you believe in pedagogy depressed, like I believe in pedagogy the oppressed, you know, uh, we have to humanize the people who are oppressing us. And that's hard to do. Like, I get that. You know, like it's, it's there's some people who I don't think actually are, are, are worthy of that that humanity. But like long term, we can't just take it from people who have it, because when we when we take it from them, what are they going to do? They're going to take it back, and we're just going to go back and forth playing fucking you know uh, hot potato with capital, and so we have to um, we have to get into um, like well, what does it look like to own capital? Well, what, we got to build capital, okay? We got to build capital and use it as a tool, not as a sort of like you know deity. So what, what that means is we need resources. How are we going to get those resources? We can use city policies to do that. How do we get the city to say, hey, these city properties, you know what, we're going to use them to build affordable housing because we already have those resources as, as citizens of a city, uh, you know, or collectively, you know, like this is something the foundation eventually wants to do is, you know, like if enough of us pitch in, you know, a thousand dollars as an investment, as a, you know, like small return on investment, uh, um, like investment, you know, if I can get, you know, I, I, every, every semester I have 270 students. If I can get, you know, five years worth of around 500 students per year, uh, five years times 500, that's two, that's 2,500 students, uh, to, to pitch in a thousand dollars, that's $2.5 million. Like, and we can use that to actually like buy out land and turn it into nonprofit housing, community land trusts. Uh, so part of it is being, uh, creative. Uh, this is where I think it's important. Like it is important to understand how terrible capitalism is, but we need to move beyond that. Uh, you know, it can't also be institutional change. This is actually, I think, where uh, critical race theory falls short. Uh, critical race theory does an excellent job of telling us what what the current situation is for people of color and marginalized communities, but like it focuses a lot on institutions, and ultimately we have to change the social relations of production. And I think that's why uh, Marxist analysis, for me. Uh, like go a step, go that step further. For me, it's not about just getting more people of color in higher positions of power if those positions of power are are, are oppressive. Um, and so ultimately, if there's young people who want to get involved, like get involved with people who are doing innovative shit. So like in LA, that's the LA Co-op Lab, uh, the Foundation for Economic Democracy, self-plug there. 
Um, you know, in Santa Ana, it's uh, Cooperación, San, uh, Cooperación Santana. Uh, there's all kinds of, uh, there's another another one out here in LA called Lucy. Uh, it's the, um, the LA Union uh, Cooperative um, Initiative. Uh, and so like people are basically developing, or oh, there's all kinds of land trusts that are popping out in LA because there's a uh, trust South LA. They're trying to like basically take private land off of the for-profit market. Uh, and they're basically trying to democratize the economy. Uh, and so for me, that's really where the work needs to go. It, it, you know, it's, it's not just about graduating from college because, you know, we've been doing that for 30 to 40 years. And all we have is, you know, more people of color in positions of power. Uh, and we have Kamala Harris's of the world ain't doing shit. Okay. So, you know, she's out there like, and she'll, you know, she'll tweet about, you know, uh, uh, like trans, Remem trans remembrance day, even though like when she was, you know, DA and, San and, and, um, when she was a DA in San Francisco, she was trying to, she incarcerated them in the, the, like the trans women, she incarcerated them in the men's prison. So like, you know, ultimately the socialism is trying to transform the social relations of production, which doesn't in and of itself change the other shit. But that's why I think critical race theory goes well with sort of Marxist theory. If you, if you do it right. Um, so again, this is not me sort of discounting. And this, that's another thing too, is like we, we operate in a world of binary. So me saying that if somebody like, just like gets that clip and fucking shortens it and we do what, what we do with Marx, which we, you know, we take his quote out of context, um, people can be like, Dr. Carlos is anti-critical race theory, which, you know, y'all know that I'm not. I just think it's limited. I don't know if that answered your question. What do y'all think? What what's uh where are y'all at in your understanding of socialism and you know your politicization? I know that y'all are at different levels, but like you know, what do you all think about socialism? Since y'all are the new generation, um, your generation actually has a has a, a different sort of uh, experience with the word that isn't tainted a lot by the like the negativity of the Cold War. So I mean, I grew up watching fucking Rocky movies, right? Where like you know, fucking Rocky went and fought a cold war, literally, like the movie was a literal fucking analogy for fighting the cold war against the Soviet Union. Like, and as a kid, I didn't recognize that I just like, oh, yeah, American, he beat the Russian. And like, so I as a kid, I had all kinds of negative feelings towards Russians, and into red commies. And I used to call people commies, I didn't even know, fuck it, I didn't even know what the fuck it meant, because I propaganda movies, uh, cultural things like in everyday life that are like slowly, it's, it's not just the news, it's actually much more the cultural stuff. This is where Edward Said talks about, you know, cultural imperialism. Um, and so, you know, I was uh, socialized in a world where like communism was a bad thing, but y'all, y'all exist in a different world. Yeah, I would definitely say that I am not a hater of socialism, socialism or communism, because I feel like those terms have been like kind of villainized by the older generations. And I just kept hearing in textbooks of how awful it was, but then I would read the actual work of it. And I'd be like, that's not lining up. So I never really understood that growing up. And so I always did my own research like regarding like politics. And I don't know, I would, I don't know what I would consider myself. Um, I'm still kind of, I guess, fine-tuning it with the with more that I learn. But I definitely would say I am a socialist for sure. But like maybe beyond 
with other ideologies combined. Who knows? For well, sure. I mean, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. You're good. I was, I was, just, I was just gonna say, for sure. I get the, I get the, the feminist socialist, uh, like vibes. Not white feminism, though. We don't stand there. Never any. white feminism. Oh well, white feminism isn't socialist, so like. Correct. There you go. Um, well, I was just gonna um, kind of share, like, like my upbringing. I was raised religiously, so you know, with certain values, you know, you grow up thinking the world is a certain way and then you get to be a certain age and then you realize it's not. Oh, I mean, at least for myself, like it wasn't, the world wasn't what I thought it was growing up. And so one of the most important lessons I think that I was taught and like still abide to to this day is treating others the way you want to be treated. And I think that's like an important message that withstands even any like religious ideologies. It's just a or, or general even, thing that you do. Or even like political ideologies. Yeah. Like you want to be able to provide for people the way that you would want to be provided for if you were in those circumstances. So like if I have the ability to provide for somebody when they don't have the same resources or access to resources that I do, by all means, I'm going to share that. Because that's what I would want if I were in that position. So if, you know, sorry. No, 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 go ahead. ahead. Because your point, like, reminds me of, um, like, I don't, if if I had as much money as Jeff Bezos, I just don't understand these people, to be honest with you. Because if I had that much money, I would literally be giving that shit away. I would be out everywhere. And not just for, uh, like, philanthropy giving. I would be in the streets fucking handing, like, you know, fucking $20,000 to a homeless person. Like I would be, you know, I would be walking through the street. Like, so I don't understand in, in that same context, like, you know, and that's, uh, that's another thing I think people don't understand because they assume that like, oh, that, that, that socialism is going to come take resources away from like working class people and give them to poorer working class people. Like, no, socialism wants to get the resources from the people who have way more than they will ever be able to spend. So we're taking it from, you know, like the super rich. Like we're not, I'm not even talking about millionaires. I'm talking about people who have billions and billions of dollars. And I'll say this on air because I I think I said it last week, but uh, I'll repeat it. There's a difference between a million and a billion. And in time, a million seconds is 11 days. A billion seconds is 31 years. Imagine Jeff Bezos has near $200 billion like of wealth. Like he has way more money than we'll ever need. And like, I just don't understand how if I had that money, I would literally be on the streets fucking not even buying people cars. I would be I would be pri- building private fucking rail systems. I would be building like housing everywhere. I would buy out land and say, OK, this shit like people can live there for free. Sorry, I cut you off, Rebecca. I apologize. No, I was just y'all, like, y'all, y'all no, just I mean, I, I absolutely agree. Like the whole point of amassing all this wealth, I would assume is to use it for a good purpose. But like. It like where are you like what are you even gonna do with the money, like you can't even spend all of it in your lifetime, and you have to like two hundred billion dollars for what? And you're fighting some workers because they want a couple extra dollars to pay. That's the part that I don't get. Like y'all ever watch like Bond movies and shit? Like and you know there's all these villains and like the villains like this is another thing that we do is a lot of those villains end up being like uh like perpetuating Islamophobia because a lot of the villains are like you know Middle Eastern you know, I mean, I'm not even gonna say the word um but uh 
but like in in re- in real life, those villains are literally fucking um, like capitalists. Like you know, like y'all remember Inspector Gadget? There was a guy with a cat, and you never saw his face. That is literally Jeff Bezos, like the man behind the fucking you know like machine, like making shots and like you know calling shots and telling people that they got to be more efficient so they can't go to the restroom and pee. You have like yes. Like uh, Americans scared of like um like Mexico, the narcos and stuff like that, but they don't realize that like the DEA has infiltration with them, that the American government is so involved with their system and that they basically control help control the whole narco system. Like it all ties in with capitalism and like how I don't know how like Americans how or how capitalism has been able to to successfully make it seem like they're they're so good when in reality they're like the evil person they're like the the devil they're the devil basically so i'm going to tell you how exactly so one you villainize anything that's not capitalism right you villainize socialism communism anything you you like you you know villainize it you also don't ever have like people talk about capitalism period it just it becomes so normalized that it's just the norm you don't ever say it and you control like you have so many resources that you basically use all of them to perpetuate your worldview, a worldview where capitalism is the norm, where making profit is the norm. The norm. Like, and so it's one of those things that uh that uh that you know is normalized in every single everyday life, not through like overt propaganda, but it's 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 through subtle propaganda. You know, I grew up, you know, uh in all there was all these movies, the rags to riches movies, right? How you know some guy got lucky and he made a billion dollars or million dollars and he was really nice and he got the girl and and so you grow up being poor and you want that because you want to get out of your hellscape and so so that's why you have all these people simping for capitalism like you know like that's one of my favorite memes you know there's so many out people out here like say I'm a capitalist and I'll be like where's your capital show me where's your factory where's your means of production like you don't own shit man you own a car and that like that's it you and and you work you work for Uber. Like you're not you're not a capitalist. Speaking of propaganda, I I wanted to say one little thing about Marvel that always like gets me. I think that Tony Stark is like the best capitalist propaganda they could have created. He's literally like the Raytheon CEO of the Marvel world. And it like one thing that I was thinking about the other day, which is very specific. If you didn't watch Punisher, then this is not going to make any sense. But in Punisher, the show, they talk about how um, the U.S. military was using the bodies of these like Middle Eastern people that they were killing to like traffic drugs and i'm just saying like how does this exist in the same universe where tony stark is creating the weapons that they're using yeah and it i mean technically yeah i love batman just uh, growing up but even batman you know and i know that's dc comics but like batman's another one these you know instead of, instead of uh we can do a whole show on actual if you all want to do it like a follow-up show on just like your comic books and how they perpetuate uh like you know american normalcy um uh, but like, you know, Wayne Tech, you know, like, you know, a lot of that same weaponry uh, and and instead of actually helping poor people, that was beating the shit out of like, you know, poor people um, and that drives them so crazy. They turn into the Joker. He could do something okay. good with the money that he has, but he chooses to go and do like this vigilante justice thing. And it's like, 
just a great example of like actually how America thinks that crime works. Yeah. Jeff Bezos could do so much good, but instead of, and he's not doing vigilante justice. What he's doing is he's hiring lawyers to fucking take more, more money away from poor people. Sorry, Have Mikey, you you've been trying guys? to get Mikey, you've been trying to get in the work. No, it's all right. I was just going to point out too, like the whole dark Knight rises trilogy, like Bane, there was a meme where Bane was like living ahead of his time, wearing a mask, freaking out about a dude wearing a bat suit yeah. and then also yeah. stealing pretty much the his stuff to give out to the regular although he, you know yeah I, I i get the analogy even though he wasn't really trying to give it out to the regular people but yeah bane you know what i don't like about bane is that they took his latin americanness away so like yeah. I, hate, I hate how invisible latin La, latinos are like we are so invisible that when we finally get characters and they finally make it to the big screen they fucking strip them of their latinoness like you know, like, like, like he, even though even though it's kind of it's kind of kind of problematic, but in the cartoons he always had this like Latino accent. I hate how they always do the like, you know, the Latino. I can't even do it, but it's the the Sofia Vergara accent. Anyway, we're on a completely different topic now. <laughs> that and the luchador costume. Ooh, socialism. Let's wrap it up. It's a system where the sur social surplus product, all of the wealth that is created by people, the extra wealth is disseminated to the people themselves and that's not kept by profiteers who are just going to put it in some fucking wall street um cayman islands account and and like just hoard it like literally like in and it's not socialism and it isn't a system that's trying to take any money away from people who are already working it's and it's not even about recovering our tax dollars it's actually beyond like one that's the first step we have to recover our tax dollars if we're paying taxes we should be getting something back that benefits society that makes it that improves society infrastructure uh rail um you know green technologies you know uh unemployment systems U, uh, ubi you know community land trust money there's all kinds of sort of suggestions that we have right that's one recover our tax dollars this is where like i think we can uh you know, like sort of agree with some of the things that libertarians sort of like some, not all of the things that they want, right? The tax dollars, that's their big thing. Well, like, all right, let's recover that and make sure it helps people. The other thing is like the social surplus product, all the profit. Imagine if the billions of dollars that are made every year in profits actually just get put back into the society that we live in to make it better. Like, you know, we could live in the future if we really wanted to, but we're fucking stuck living in this hellscape because we're trying to protect not even the CEOs, but the owners of Pfizer, Moderna, the, the owners of, you know, Amazon, the owners of, um, you know, all these giant corporations just so they can keep their, you know, their, their, their profit margins. And it's, it's sad. And it's so antiquated, honestly. And that's, and I honestly, I feel a lot of depression sometimes because I feel like I don't live in the right time set time, like time period. I feel like I'm living out of place. Like, and I say these things and people think that I'm crazy. And uh, and it's like, dude, we can live in the future if we wanted to. Like, I remember a time growing up where the the all the movies that were coming out about the future were were like all fucking awesome, and they were they were they necessitated public investment. Like, you know, the Jetsons had fucking and I, I technically this is bad for health, but like they had they had escalators that walked them places. They got on the esc like the ones at the airports, but those were everywhere. They didn't have to walk anywhere. They just got on the thing and it took them wherever they wanted. Um, that necessitates public investment. Well, the reason we don't have these things is because you know wealthy people don't want to pay taxes. 
Yeah, we have Black Mirror. I mean, if you pay attention to it, actually, I've been wanting to write an article about this. But uh, like all of the films about the future in the last 20 years are all like, you know, apocalyptic shit. Even though those existed in the 80s a little bit, like, you know, Mad Max and the whatnot, you had a rival sort of uh, before neoliberalism. We didn't even get to talk about neoliberalism today. But uh, before that sort of uh, Reagan and Thatcherism started, uh, the visions of the future in the 70s and 80s was like this beautiful, fucking like amazing, like super technological place that made life better for people. Now we have like, you know, and the thing is, it's not, it's, it's sort of a, it's the, the irony of capitalism is that like, we don't even have to imagine it because we are literally living in it. Like thousands of people are going homeless. People are being evicted from their housing. Uh, and like in my place, uh, there's a like little shitty ass studios, shitty ass studios are going for $1,400. Like the ugliest, fucking moldiest studios in the back of the building, uh, like that right next to the trash, and you know, you know what hangs out in trash near trash. Rats hang out by the trash, like, and you're gonna pay fourteen hundred for a like crappy studio. But we want to protect people's profits, so we need something better. And uh, and socialism is where we as a society basically just take care of each other, man. That's it. That's how I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. Like that's the, If you want a simple definition for socialism is where we basically uh, all sort of share responsibility and accountability and we work to help each other out, man. And uh, if anything, that's uh, that's the Latin American in me. Like in those communities, you take care of each other, even even out here, like immigrant communities take care of each other. And just thinking about your community is not just being the brown people or the white people or the people immediately in your community, but like, you know, as human beings. Okay, thank you everybody for watching this episode of Semplando Ideales. Um, Genesis, thank you to all my lovely co-hosts, Ali, Guillermo, Rebecca, Mikey, and Dr. Carlos. Take care, everybody. Y'all have a good one. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care, and we'll be dropping resources for everybody. Bye, y'all. Bye.